welcome to episode six of the complete Shostov Kishlovsky. I'm Matt Gastire, and here as usual with my co-host Travis Trudell. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing fantastic. Your pronunciation is getting better and better per episode. Well, you know, I mean, uh, again, as I said in the first episode, if we can't pronounce the name of the guy we're covering in the season. Uh, that's going to be pretty rough uh, yeah. for the rest of the season. So I'll do I'll do my best, and you do yours. How about that? I will as well. All right, sounds good. And uh, we have a uh, guest this week, per usual, and uh, it's Martin Kessler uh, of Flixwise and Flixwise Canada. How you doing, Martin? Hello, uh, pretty good. I'm completely impartial to whatever political situation we're going to be in, but uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe ha- like halfway through, you can turn from like a Communist Party hack to, uh, you know, just like a guitar playing uh, <laughs> activist, party <laughs> activist. Uh, sounds good. Um, yeah, so uh, well, I, I think most people uh, know know you. Uh, you were on our first season uh, doing Spartacus, uh, Kubrick season, um, but if you want to just uh, give a brief introduction, let people know what you've been up to recently, that'd be great. Uh, sure. Usually you can hear me over at Flixwise. I've got the spinoff show Flixwise Canada, where we, we cover kind of an eclectic group of films and film subjects. Uh, sort of recently we've had episodes on Kon Ichikawa's Revenge of a Kabuki Actor, which is very good, with uh, poster artist Tony Stella on as a guest. Um, a pair of films by a Chadian filmmaker. Uh, oh, and we even had an episode on the Lee Winnell action sci-fi thriller Upgrade with uh, Marcus Finn, who Very people nice. might know if they listen to Wrong Reel or Zebras in America. He's great. So a uh, lot of interesting subjects, uh, great guests. People should check it out if they like this show. And you cover um, the Sight and Sound 250 on Flixwise. Um, was yeah. was Solo your last episode? That, that was the most recent yeah. one. It, it sort of <laughs> was hanging over our heads for a little yeah. while. I figured it had to get done sooner or later. But the episode, I think, turned out very well. And it's a very interesting conversation. We don't just say, ew, the it whole was. time. Yeah, no, I think had a you, lot of things to say. Like like everybody, I think you, you there was a lot of nervous laughter at the beginning. But then you, you guys got down to business. <laughs> so I do recommend that listen. Uh, I don't necessarily know that I recommend the movie, but I recommend the listen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you um and uh yeah we're we are here uh for episode six to talk about blind chance which is um a film that kishlovsky made in 1981 um and uh right about the same time as he made short working day the last film we talked about um, but it was immediately shelved it was not released at all before martial law was declared in Poland and was not actually released um, until 1987 after the success of um, Decalogue, or I think maybe it was actually after the success of um, the short films. Um, But he, uh, that was in a censored form, Um, but the the film uh, was restored uh, almost entirely um, for its uh, Criterion release. And so this is the first movie that we are covering so far that is um, in a uh, solo Blu-ray release available widely in the United States. Uh, even has uh, some a couple of extras, an essay, some beautiful cover art. Um, we, we are not in the 
in the uh, the slums of uh, supplemental films and uh, streaming only uh, <laughs> anymore, uh, and and out of print uh, Kino and Facet DVDs, which oh, are, you know we've all lived DVDs in. DVDs yeah. are rough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah, we are we are lucky to have this movie. This is uh, uh, one of those one of those films uh, from the uh, communist era in Eastern Europe that for whatever reason they uh, didn't want to, I guess it was just that they didn't have the heart to destroy any of the art. And so they just decided, well, we're not going to be here forever. So we might as well keep this thing around on a shelf until whoever it is comes and cuts our heads off and, and they'll release all these great movies. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll get into it. But the first thing uh, I wanted to uh, do was uh, as part of our initiation into this season, Martin, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, your feelings about Kieślowski, how you came to him, um, how your feelings have evolved and sort of where, you know, how you kind of place him in, in film history and, and in Eastern European cinema as well, since I know that's one of the areas that you're uh, especially familiar with. Uh, sure. I, I almost got in through his filmography completely backwards. I, probably the way I think a lot of people have watching the Three Colors films, which were very available and then seeing uh, Double Life of Veronique and then the Decalogue and kind of moving further into the stuff that's a little bit harder to get a hold of. Um, he's maybe not one of my go-tos, but he's still a filmmaker that I find very inspiring and has made a couple of films that really, you know, knocked me over, impressed me. Um, and I'm sort of excited to talk about this one because it comes at sort of an interesting point in his career. It kind of feels like right on the line between some of the earlier films and the later, more stylish kind of uh, metaphysical subjects. I sort of knew the premise going in, watching it for the first time, Blight Chance. So it, it wasn't like a complete surprise to me, but it was just sort of interesting to see where it fit into his filmography. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of my initial <laughs> reaction to it or my uh, how I felt coming in. And what do you, what do you generally what was your kind of takeaway from the movie? What do you think of this this film? Um, I mean, the politics are sort of the thing that stand out immediately, but I, I think it's probably only incidentally a political film. It's uh, uh, not really, I think, what uh, Kishlovsky was interested in. I think the subject's sort of more philosophical, more metaphysical. It, it's kind of examining. Uh, you know, maybe how we come to certain ideologies which we consider very essential to our being and the sort of capricious ways in which, uh, you know, we kind of fall into these ideologies or, you know, even religion, it sort of comes up in the film. And I think that aspect of it's something I really responded to and found interesting. I'm not completely sure I, you know, go along with everything in the film. I have some questions about the conclusion, but I, I think it's a really interesting film you know it's sort of this idea of uh, if I had another life how it might have turned out I think at one point in the film the character Vitek talks about having this uh, twin brother who died right right mm -hmm. and it, it's sort of that feeling like if there was another me how life might have been different for them and I think you know the actual political differences which form a big part of the context of the film uh, to me what Kishlovsky's more interested in is how you know really these 
ideological lines that separate us, maybe they're not really important, uh, you know, and has sort of a humanist approach to it. Maybe ultimately a pessimistic one, but uh, that that's kind of my initial takeaway. And I, I think there's specific things we can get into uh, later on, but that's kind of my my takeaway from the film after uh, really only the two viewings, I guess. I, I watched it when it first came out on the Criterion and then it kind of sat on my shelf until this episode. So I'm glad to pick up, uh, pick it up again. But, um, you know, I, I think you can kind of see certain ideas developing that Kishlovsky would come back to later in his career. Like, I, I think there's a lot in common with Double Life of Veronique, um, you know, where you also have these sort of two parallel lives of uh, someone, but, uh, you know, they play out differently. You know, there it's more like a doppelganger, but um, it's a similar concept, you know, this sort of, why am I born as me into this time, into this body who have this life, you know, and not some other life or some other way of being. I think that's the kind of thing he's considering. And I know in the um, special features for the Criterion, uh, Blu-ray, DVD, there was talk of uh, Kishlovsky even sort of considering remaking the film in America. Right. Uh, Blind Chance, like an American version, because uh, who was the filmmaker who was talking about? Uh, Agnieszka it, Holland. Uh, Holland, yeah. Uh, she was sort of saying that maybe the politics, the kind of context kept it from being a bigger international hit. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's some reasons why it wasn't a huge hit in Poland either, but uh, I guess by the time Kishlovsky got around to actually maybe considering the idea of uh, doing a remake, people were already sort of imitating it and doing their own thing. The basic premise, the basic structure, which is, uh, you know, you have a framing a beginning and an end where it introduces you to this character and shows you how he ends, but then it shows three versions of his life how it plays out between the beginning and the end sort of have a repeating style and uh, very smartly each segment's a little bit shorter than the previous one it, it kind of yeah knows not to uh once it tips its hand you. yeah for sure once yeah it yeah tips its hand, i think that yeah I, we should we yeah. should outline uh, just what happens sure. in this movie uh, i always forget to do that because that was the part of the book report where i always got the b plus because <laughs> i never did any of the summary work um, yeah, this is a movie about a guy who um, he uh, wants to become a doctor or, or his father actually wants him to become a doctor um, and uh, his father dies. And it's actually interesting um, in the uh, Criterion translation and as it's referenced um, in the essay, uh, it's, it's described as you don't have to dot, dot, dot. So he doesn't actually finish the sentence. Um, so his father tells him, you don't have to. And Vitek takes that as um, you don't have to become a doctor. And so he starts to wonder if that's what he really wants to do or not. In other translations, it seems like it might be closer to you don't have to do anything, which mm -hmm. is a little different. Um, but I think, you know, could still be read um, in that in that way. Um, it's more it, I think it's you don't have to do anything as opposed to trailing off is much more of a call to sort of personal liberty that it's like you are relieved from 
everything that you have to do, whereas you don't have to is a little bit more vague. But um, but I think what either way, what happens is he decides that he's going to um, leave and take some time off, and he gets he tries to catch a train. Um, I think is it to is it to Warsaw? It's maybe to Warsaw. Yeah, yeah. Warsaw. yeah. And so he uh, he bumps into an old lady. There's a coin that's rolling on the ground. The guy picks it up to buy a beer. He might hit that guy. He's trying to run and catch the train. The first one, he catches the train. All this stuff happens. Yada, yada, yada. He's, he ends up at an airport where it turns out he's not able to take the trip he was planning on taking. He joins the, the, the party, uh, the, the sort of government political apparatus in Poland. Um, and then the movie rewinds to him running to catch the train again. Um, and so we see that happen three times to him. Um, and so that is the basic premise of the movie. It is a premise that I did not know going into the film. All I knew about it, um, when I watched this movie was that it was made by the same person that made Decalogue and three colors and Veronique, all of which I had seen before. So, um, I was like, oh, this is, you know, different. This is a different kind of movie for him. And then it rewinds and I was like, oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. This is Kishlowski. All right. Um, Travis, what, what did you think of this movie? Is this the first time that you've, that you've seen this? Yeah, this was the first time I saw this. Uh, it was one of those, like Martin, I bought it, put it on the shelf and just hadn't really, uh, taken the time to watch it. And then knowing that the season was coming up, I figured I'd just hold off. Um, but I mean, man, I can't, uh, I guess it, it references, uh, the American film sliding doors, according to every single, uh, you know, review I've ever read about this movie. I just, I, yeah, it's very frustrating that (laughs) every headline says Kislowski's sliding doors inspiration. (laughs) You're like, what are you talking about? Please know it's career off the ground. So we have Kishlovsky to thank for uh, Johnny English. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real butterfly effect here. Yeah. But it is truly amazing though. I mean, the, the most surprising thing about that, the reason why those two films are so connected is because this concept has not really been done that much and it has been done more so since this movie, but Mm -hmm. you know, Travis and I were, were talking earlier today I did a little bit of research looking around. I could I couldn't find a single movie that had taken this approach uh, before, in terms of the the sort of three or even more than one different potential areas of pursuing you know sort of branching off alternate realities. And it's kind of a surprising thing that a concept like this. I mean, it's similar to kind of Groundhog Day where. Now there's so there's been so many copycats of Groundhog Day, but you right. would think that that's a concept like living the same deja vu. You're having real deja yeah. vu. It just seems like that would be a thing that somebody would have come up with in the 30s, you know, let alone, you know, sure. the I mean, 70s. There's so much uh, literature and, you know, just artwork based around this idea of regret. And I wonder if my life had played out differently. You think somebody else would have. Yeah, I feel like this earlier. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first time I kind of encountered this uh, was in uh, Run Lola Run. Yeah, which also mm-hmm. sort of has the three variants on the same. Which I think was made uh, the same year as as Sliding Doors, right? I 
think I probably think that yeah, sounds think about so. right. Yeah. And, well, and Tom uh, Teichver obviously has yeah. has quite the heart on for Kishlovsky, So sure. I mean, I saw that um, maybe not for the first time, but I remember seeing Run Lola Run in first year university film school, and like on one hand, I can kind of get why you know if you had the choice of showing a group of film students just starting out you know between uh, blind chance and run lola run like right. <laughs> run lola run uh, but um you know this seems to be sort of an original concept which uh Kishlovsky developed yeah. which makes this film stand out i think well and and uh, obviously i think that run lola run speaks to the idea that you were talking about of of remaking this movie because i think everybody who's seen a lot of movies can immediately get on board with a story of a girl that's trying to save her boyfriend from being killed because he owes money. Yeah, I think it's a very cliche. And there's nothing really political about it. I right. mean, Blind Chance, I was reading about when it was finally released in, in Poland in 1987, and there were people on sort of both sides of the political spectrum who were <laughs> trying to boycott it and speaking out against it, critics yeah. attacking it, you know, basically people kind of read into it that, uh, you know, it was either anti-communist or, you know, not, uh, not taking a side or, you know, whatever the, the, the reaction was, but people politicized this film, which I think is, is sort of funny because in a way it's a film that's sort of saying that these political differences are maybe a little bit arbitrary and not really super relevant to your character as a human yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely yeah. a big uh trying to dispel the them versus us notion i think that's exactly, a, it's a yeah. big yeah from uh i think the the big polish film movement before there was the uh <clears throat> what was it called it was called the uh, cinema of distrust i think uh i think it was yeah. called something else originally while they were filming but then in uh, retrospect uh, a lot of critics were calling it more the cinema of distrust and so this was a big kind of now that we're in, now that we've had the work the workers' revolution, and now that we have this moment of uh, of uh, good things happening for everyone, let's make some movies that kind of shine a nicer light, I guess, on the on Polish society, Polish life. I mean, he he just came off of doing that uh, uh, that documentary, uh, Talking Heads. So there's a lot of hope and a lot of uh, commonality in that documentary. And so I can see how he would want to, you know, say, you know what, this is, uh, we shouldn't be against each other. They've, you know, for years, they've been keeping us against each other. Now we need to find commonality and that's our way out. And, you know, unfortunately, it was one year of... (laughs) Yeah, and one actually, year a lot of those, very short-lived. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of those films that they that they finished ended up being shelved. This guy, um, uh, who plays uh, Vitek in this film, um, what's his is uh, oh, uh, Bogoslav uh, Linda. Linda. He oh, yeah. uh, he was in four movies in 1981, and they were all shelved. Um, so there was, uh, you know. In, in, and one of the movies that that was uh, banned um, once martial law set in um, was Man of Iron, which which had just won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes. So there there was this sense for there was this brief moment for two years, a year or two um, after Solidarity had a breakthrough, 
where people felt like, oh, okay, like there's, there's this opportunity here. Um, and it, it all came crashing down almost immediately. Uh, and it, for Kieślowski, it was a situation where he didn't even think he was going to continue to be a filmmaker. He tried to uh, drive a cab uh, and, you know, really just had no idea what he was, um, uh, was going to do next. position at the uh, yes. directing. Yeah, I, there was a quote, I have it written down somewhere where he said, I, I wasn't cut out for such revolutionary times, which mm. I know like his attitude after kind of makes you think that maybe the the version that he most closely identified with is the um one where Vitek becomes a doctor yeah sort of yeah thing. maybe that's but w what's sort of surprising to me is it feels in some ways just as critical about this uh a political attitude as it does about you know the variations where he becomes uh either a member of the party or a member of the anti-communist sort of resistance underground you know it, it feels like there's not really a clear, hey, this is the right way to live. You know, I think he's mm. not trying to say that, but it, it seems like uh, the, the apolitical version that's maybe closest to who he was. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, obviously, uh, he's kind of approached all three of these in different ways in previous films mm. that he's made. Um, I think the last one is is most clearly similar to um, camera buff um, and and just yeah. sort of the approach of of reverting into the yourself and, yeah. yeah and and just you know not sort of realizing the dipping your toes into the the political aspects and just realizing the prickly nature of it and and resisting that. But I do think like I realized I wasn't born for these uh, revolutionary or made for these revolutionary times it kind of could be the national slogan of poland like it's just <laughs> that's like just their that's almost like their attitude about so everything right on their flag <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's just like they you know this is this was the con there's like what other time in poland would have been better for him <laughs> like there's no there's no there's no like time of of calm peace in poland uh so i mean i think like this movie, as much as it speaks to the specific politics of communist Poland and of the solidarity era of, of communist Poland, could be set in almost any point in Polish history just because there's always so many forces pulling at each citizen um, in the country, you know, if it, if it could even be legally called a country at that point in history, um, that you know, I think that this movie, I think you're right to say this isn't like a specifically political movie, but I think it speaks so much to the, the sort of fabric of Poland and that it's, I think that is what it makes it much more difficult for people to uh, fully understand it and connect with it and why it makes sense that sort of moving away from that political element was essential to his kind of international success later on in the films that he made both in Decalogue where it was, you know, more sort of universal religious background or in three colors where he literally left Poland for most of the, of the trilogy. Um, but Travis, you didn't, uh, you didn't tell us what you thought of this movie. Did you like it? Oh, what did you I like, I'm sorry. I liked it a lot. I, uh, <laughs> No, I enjoyed it. I uh, formally and tech 
technically, I, I, I like this film. Uh, this is a huge uh, step forward for him. Um, he really embraced a lot of these, uh, I call them like poetic touches at the beginning. Like he really doesn't kind of explain yeah. himself. Um, he makes these, you know, just these images that are uh, really evocative, really uh, almost uh, sensual and soft. And like they're these beautiful memories that we, we come to find out that they're memories as we progress forward into the film. But at the time, they're kind of just these uh, small snapshots and moments that are brutal or strange or pretty. or And you're just kind of wondering where we are. And the other part that uh, touch that he uh, adds to these moments is this feeling of us being in the POV so it feels like a memory. And then the camera pivots just slightly into a third person in which we are now watching what's going on removed. So it, it's a really stylistically fantastic choice because it connects us right away with our character. Uh, very, uh, you know, not so subtly, but, you know, subtle enough for an audience to kind of uh, have that feeling of displacement and what's going on. Because you're like, oh, I'm this person, but no, I'm not. Oh, I'm this person, but no, I'm not. And it kind of gives you that feeling, you know, which sets up the tone for the rest of the film, which is we are these people, but we're also not these people. So we have to find a way to connect with these different, uh, you know, uh, opposing forces within our society that we, you know, we easily brand as a them um, instead of an us. So... It, it was it was really beautifully done that way and <clears throat> I uh yeah, I liked it a lot. I uh I really did I really connected well with it. As the as the person who saw who saw this this movie for the first time uh most recently, uh of the three of us, for that opening section, did that did that resonate with you when the characters or sort of moments that were described in in those instances uh show up later like did were you able to sort of remember that or did it was it just this sort of mysterious thing at the beginning for the first viewing because I, I was curious about that because I mean I went into this so blind when the first time I saw this no pun intended that <laughs> I that I really just uh totally forgot about that until I read about it after I watched the movie the first time um and then but going back for a rewatch, I was able to appreciate it a lot more, um, which is always an interesting thing to me with these movies that like, I don't know how many times anybody who's making a movie in Poland in 1981 expects people to rewatch their film. Uh, yeah, right. you know, so it, it, it's an interesting choice that he makes at the beginning. That's very disorienting. Um, you know, I put mirror on the, on the outline because this, yeah. this, 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 this sequence really reminds me of mirror a lot. Um, the Tarkovsky film. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I was wondering if you, if you felt like you recalled and sort of put the pieces together as the movie went on. I, I did. I felt, I felt that they were strong enough and evocative enough that I was able yeah. to remember them enough uh, you know, uh, her name is uh, uh, Shushka, uh, the, the the girl that he's interested in, the one he has his first love. Yeah. Um, you know, 
her 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 look is striking enough that you can connect her later. Same haircut, same kind of look. Um, and then Daniel, the young boy, you know, it's the only name that is said at that time. So when he says Daniel later, you, it's easy to kind of remember because it's such, it's not a Polish name that we're used to at this point in these movies. Yeah. You know, it is such a non non uh, traditional name. So I think it was it was it was done really well because it did make me. I think the only part that I completely forgot about was him screaming. That yeah. was the part that I just completely just it went out of my head because you went to the credits. Then we comes we come into these uh, little memory pieces, which uh, you know build a story slowly. Oh, this is this person's life. This is his memories. This is. And then, you know, the tragedy of the father dying and the sadness and the depression and then followed by a life choice, which is probably not the best thing. But sometimes it's those moments where we've lost everything that we kind of make these wild life choices to kind of propel us forward into a different direction because we have that brush with death. And I think that's what that's what I liked about those those moments. They all felt like they were. There are pieces of a. There are pieces of this person's character, uh, these uh, voids that he had in his life, and that he revisits each one of them slowly throughout the course of his. It, but the, see, that's the thing. That's the crazy thing is we've seen we've seen the memories in the in his past as uh, our own kind of visual uh, visualizing in in a structured form, but then as he goes through each one of his different lives. It's only in going through each one of them does he have the moments to reconnect back to some of those memories. He, in, in, in no one of his three lives does he reconnect to all three of those past memories that shaped him. So I find that to be very interesting as well because only us as the audience get the pleasure of being able to see a fully formed life with these three, these three different mm. lives that he has. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. There, it's like the he, the choices that he makes in each of the sections feel more authentic because we have this built-in, you know, sort of almost like a data bank in his mind mm-hmm. of like these things that sort of formed him as a person, and so those things that he's drawn to or feel feel more natural, perhaps. But to, they don't they don't seem as as much of a divergent choice. Um, and I, I want to go back to that point um, in a minute because I, I do I do want to talk about sort of like his you know the, how different these choices are that he makes in these three uh, sections and I like your point about about his uh, his father dying and how that sort of can throw us throw us off a lot um, those big moments where something terrible happens um, but I the other thing I want to touch on in the beginning is the music um, mm. it's a uh, Wochia Kilar, I think, is uh, close to how you pronounce it. Also, the um, the soundtrack for the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, right? Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, he, there we he, go. he did the, the music for uh, <laughs> he did the music for it's the really King good. and the Mockingbird too. The uh, it's an animated film that's that's really worth checking out. Um, but the, this is the most conventional score in any of Kieślowski's movies so far, and it feels. In like entirely different from his previous movies, and I, I just feel like just listening to that score this time, having watched these movies chronologically, it's like 
that was that's the there are there are certainly lots of things in this movie that feel much more like the rest of Kieślowski's career than the films that he made previously but it's the music I think that's most definitive and just sort of visceral in terms of feeling like we're watching the rest of the movies that he made instead of the first movies that he made yeah the the music in this is the first time that I felt uh any of his films feeling romanticized mm, uh, yeah the way the the way the music plays because everything else it made it feel alien and cold yep. like you're removing yourself and this one you know it had a had the feeling of you know this evoking memories invoking all these fates and that that music just kind of gave it that feeling which was uh which was nice it was surprising I, it was something i noticed right away um but it was something that just kind of easily uh it was so, such a part of the film that i didn't notice it after a while but it did make the recall of every time we go back to the strange train station uh a, you know a, a touch point uh, something that i recognize yeah I had to check to make sure it wasn't a Preisner score at first. Like, I yeah. sort of wondered if maybe they had been working all the way back since Blind Chance. And, uh, I, like, it's definitely in that direction. I, I think you're right that it sort of starts to just sound like his later films. And that's a big part of it. Yeah, I think, I, I feel like the romanticization is a good way of putting it. There, It feels... You know, it's also a much more traditional film score in terms of the yeah. mm-hmm. orchestral music. Um, and so I think that aspect of it makes it feel, I don't know, more more slickly packaged than the sort of ramshackle documentary style approach that he's taken in the past. Um, but it was, it, but there is always, you know, I think that we are, we've been sort of, Pavlovianly trained to hear that those strings as an emotional touch point as opposed mm. to a um, sort of technical uh, approach to to film music and he it definitely feels that way here like he, he's evoking something very powerful and internal and you know obviously that speaks to the metaphysical elements that he's into um, but yeah, I, I do want to talk about the the idea of him making these decisions. The fact that he goes from party member to the opposition to um, apolitical or attempting to be apolitical, um, uh, because a lot of the, in particular, modern criticism of this film uh, comes from people feeling like it's a little too pat that he's able to contain these three people in one person and that people aren't really like this that they you know that that it's not just catching a train that's going to determine whether you are uh you know authoritarian or a or you know a revolutionary um and i i do think it's there's value in putting um putting the the father's death in there and and the idea that he was really already doing something that somebody else wanted him to do so he he was obvious he was obviously somebody who was able to be molded to a certain degree by other people and by his experiences um so i think that had value um but yeah i was curious what what you guys thought of that and just if if you felt like 
it was his choices in each of the sequences was earned and like it felt like the same person i mean one thing i really like about it is that by the time you get to the uh, the first scene at the train it establishes that the character of Vitek is in some ways is a blank slate kind of waiting for something to imprint on him but he's not you know the the uncharacterized uh, blank slate you might picture if you're starting to write somebody from scratch who is just waiting for you know whatever to happen to them like there's um there's a specificity to how the character's already developed you see in the memories and you see you know the relationship with the mother who's gone and then after the father's death where that leaves him it's um i know other people have pointed out that he seems to be looking for a kind of paternal figure after yeah. his father dies to kind of tell him what to do and he seems to find some version of that in each story you know he's seeking out guidance from somebody you know there's the communist on the train who's like the old old school uh you know was locked up in prison until they let people out after stalin died kind of communist you know there's the um priest who you know the should mention that the the anti-communist movement in poland was very closely tied to the catholicism right yes so that's that uh road he goes down and then uh finally you know when he misses the train and goes back to medical school he meets the um the professor doctor there who kind of guides him and says hey i think you should stay and it sort of gives him guidance so i think you know what you see is a character that's kind of looking for a, a path to go down you know so i don't think it's just that it, it's like a flip of the coin which direction you end up i think uh, you know a character is created who's open to these uh, very different possibilities and the film just kind of picks the divergent point because you see how you know the the idea is that each one the way it plays out like oh you know he ran into the security guy he gets locked up of course he's going to be with dissidents and i think more than it being just that random what he what uh belief system he falls into it's more like what he ends up exposed to in the train mm -hmm. that's just yep. kind of a turning point or choke point for that because really like you know people who think like oh i i believe in this because i sat down and read it and all these ideas make sense to me this is what i believe in like usually it's not that like it's it's more personal kind of reasons or uh like really you know your belief system it's more often than not just because you were exposed to it or raised in it it's not really or you didn't get into art school <laughs> right <laughs> you know but I, I think a lot of the times we kind of put emphasis on our individual choices in hindsight we think that it's our choice but really you know a lot of external factors do form what we believe in in our ideology and you actually have to kind of step away from that to really divorce yourself from these uh, ideological inclinations i think sometimes so you know that's a big part of it too but uh it, it's like i i think that criticism that oh people aren't really like that i think you know kishlovsky created a character where yeah this is entirely possible i think that's that's the idea behind it anyway i i don't think it's like uh anyone off the street this will happen to them i think it, it's just looking at somebody in a specific set of circumstances and and his his character doesn't change he's a he, no. he's a good person like he, he is a good person but he's 
he's uh, naive. I, I would say he's he's another one of Kislovsky's uh, naive characters. Yeah, someone who believes the best in things or is trying to make things work uh, a better way than it's you know than than exists. So even when he becomes a party member, he's still like, you know. He tries to release that guy on the train who's obviously being taken by the authorities to go to a uh, a treatment center because he's all drugged out. And the guy is so bombed out of his mind, he, he, ref- he doesn't get off the train. He doesn't take the cues and goes back to his seat. And then he meets the political dissident who had just come out of prison. And... I agree. I agree with you very much about the uh, the, the empty vessels uh, portion, and I think you could even go a step further in saying that like he's always been trying to fill many voids: uh, the void of his mother, the void of his brother, and each one of those plays out in like his different relationships with women, his different relationships with friends, and then his different relationships with mentors. Because with in each section, uh, with the exception of the final one. Um, he always has a a close friend, a a woman, and a mentor, and so it becomes it becomes interesting as he who he chooses to fill those those parts of his life and how they influence him. Like you're saying, Martin, it's 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 about your external influences. It's a it's a it's a lot of nurture with uh, with his nature being one of uh, being naive and being a kind person. Right. And so, and it's like uh, you mentioned earlier about how certain memories kind of reconnect to different segments. It's like how, you know, when you're something in your childhood might become significant in your life later in hindsight. That doesn't mean it was a significant moment when it happened. You know, yeah. it's like how you reconnect to the past and maybe find something in your own history, your personal history, to kind of solidify. Mm your beliefs or you know the, the filter into your current identity yeah his relationship with daniel in the second section you know right. that it's just a it's a throwaway moment in that memory it's a nice one a father leading a boy off he says oh i'm just going here for a little while i'll be i'm not going as far away as i thought so it's like a friend moving away we've all had that experience yeah. but it's only in later when you realize that it's in relation to the uh uh, the, the very purge in 68. yeah the yeah. anti-semit yeah. anti-semit yeah Semitic. I, can't even, I can't even say yep. that word correctly it angers me so much <laughs> uh, the anti-semitic uh, uh, movement that was going on and how they had to kind of flee because they, you know there was there was dangers for them and so when we come upon that later in his life it does it becomes a more significant moment uh, that that memory because it's now not just a friend leaving and there's a beautiful touch as well because as he says it to him I remember it as clear as day and we remember it too because we just witnessed it and then Daniel says we didn't have a car and so it's another person's memory yeah. telling you what his memory mm-hmm. might also be wrong which is a, a very beautiful touch because you know we have these memories that we think are solid but all we're doing is remembering a memory and as our memories change the you know our memories change <laughs> which is you know I mean, uh, one one filmmaker who maybe has i, I don't know if it, it's like necessarily influenced by kishlovsky but like uh, upstream color by shane Carruth, mm. there's mm. sort of a similar idea of oh no i didn't remember that you did or uh, you know the, the sort of disparity and like uh he, he sort of mixes it with science fiction but yeah. a, a lot of the ideas are very like Kishlovsky and I yeah think i think in, there's a lot of veronique one. in that movie yeah. for sure yes um yeah the the film i was uh reminded of as you were talking about sort of 
uh, Vitek's past and how that sort of informed his empty vessel uh, approach was uh, Louis Malle's uh, La Combe Lucien, which mm. is about uh, a boy who is basically like just an unfeeling evil person who initially decides to uh, join the resistance during World War II and, and um, wants to, you know, fight for uh, for France. and But they reject him because he's too young and he ends up becoming a fascist. And, um, you know, that, that I think that's another just example of like you bring to all of this what your experience is. And if your experience is apolitical, it doesn't matter which side you're on. You, you see the things that you want to see in the people that you connect, make the connections with. So, you know, right. in, in the same, he, this, uh, he's under no illusion oops. in the first, in the first scene, uh, sequence, um, that, uh, you know, he, he, he thinks that the party is right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't think that there's, you know, these revolutionaries, are evil he just thinks like everybody's doing their thing which is why he just completely uh you know narcs on on the the uh the the students uh to his superior because he has no concept of the fact that this guy's going to turn around and put these people in prison because as as he sees it it's just a bunch of kids you know printing up novel polish novels it doesn't make any sense to him that this would be seen as a dangerous thing and so he he really has no in in all of the sequences he doesn't have any concept of the political ramifications of any of his actions he's really just looking at this on a purely personal level yeah and it's funny because it's uh the first section is the only section in which he he uh becomes violent in nature um being a part of that uh, structured party in which everything is frustrating and nothing is easily done and nothing can be accomplished uh, as as the way it should be is when he becomes uh, violent. You know, between the outburst against Adam, uh, who is the uh, who is the superior that he uh, confides the information about the books in a flip and it's in a total flippant way too, right. which is so funny. He's like, "Oh, isn't this hilarious? Like here you are at your boat, and over there they're printing out all these uh, yeah. all these books and passing them out through the Boy Scouts. This is that's isn't that funny?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, that's that's hilarious." And then he arrests them all. And so that's the moment where he, he has, he, you know, he strikes him. He strikes him again and again. And they, they restrain him. And when they finally let him loose, he goes at him again. And then they pull him out of the room. And then later, <laughs> later when he's at the airport, he has that beautiful moment where uh, Jerzy Stahl is uh, his, uh, the party leader or, uh, yeah, was he? No, party organizer. And they're about to get on a flight to Paris and... Uh, <laughs> He just says, hey, can you hold this crystal vase for me? <laughs> Which is so weird. And it totally seems like something he would he would have brought to the scene to do as a as a thing to like, hey, you want to hold this for me? Can you put this in your bag? And of course, that's his second moment of violence, his frustration that he can't get to Paris which is what he wanted to do. And he uh, throws the vase on, the, you know, throws the vase, which that moment of breaking uh resets resets the story to start our next uh our next through line and uh i i wanted i wanted to ask uh what kind of film do you think this would be if uh Yerge was the uh was the leader mm. 
would it feel more comedic to you? Would it feel less less like an empty vessel because we have a new character who we haven't really seen before and he or would would Yerge bring too much uh too much of his kind of energy to the film that would kind of take away from this uh what we've talked about so far as as this character being like this naive empty vessel. Well, I think he's getting too old to for this role um mm. at this point. Um you know, I think I think a character uh this character five to 10 years older would be a very different uh, character. And I think it probably would be tougher to believe the changes that, that he makes, but yeah, I mean, he has such a lovable uh, face that um, there, there is something a little bit less uh, blank about him for sure. But I think this protagonist is similar to all of the, men in Kieślowski's movies, they're very um, sensitive, uh, sort of like they're malleable um, Mm -hmm. and certainly like just, um, you know, very, uh, they're naive, um, but in this very um, uh, rigid way, like they, they think they have the world figured out. You know, they, they're very, uh, and they, they have their own sort of philosophical viewpoint figured out. Um, but they actually know very little about how their society functions and what is needed in order to get what they, what they want. And I feel like that, that same thing is happening here. This guy sort of falls into everything that he's doing. Um, and he has a very strict moral code, but he's unable to navigate the world in a way that allows him to uphold that moral code and feel like he's doing the right thing all of the time. Um, and I, I feel like that's very common in the movies that we've watched these, these guys, you know, and, and it really started from literally the first thing Kieślowski ever shot of tramway where, you know, it's a guy trying to catch rent, literally running to catch a train. Um, and you know spot this girl on the train and there's something very you know he's 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 bewitched by her he's trying to find her um and there's something very just sort of puppy dog about him like he's trying to follow her home essentially (laughs) um, so she can take care of him and all these women in this movie all the three women in this movie do sort of know what they want right i mean for the most part um they're they're the ones that have have a much clearer view of how each of these world worlds work because they've they've been through it yeah there's definitely uh the portrayal of the women in this they're they're very unique but all aspects of uh of a different type of uh character that he needs to help him i mean they're individuals and they have their own wants and desires but they also they're the they're the right thing he needs at the time to help him move forward in his life like it's that it's that filling that void of the the mother void like it's it's these are the different forms of his mom that he never got to experience that he has so uh with the first with the first girlfriend the uh shushka his first love you know she's a she's a political activist she's a revolutionary she's underground she's a you know printing books and passing them out and she wants change and so she's she's fierce and she shows him that it's okay to want things it's okay to want change it's okay to want to fix things and 
you know, I wonder if that's so bad when she turns him down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it's, you know, because she she doesn't she I mean, even the first time that she sleeps with him, you can see right after she's still very hesitant, wary of <laughs> him being a him being a part of the party. You know, she flicks that ash in his face, gets dressed, gets up and leaves. <laughs> you know, she's she's like, I'm not sure about this. And, you know, she continues and she's her uh, her initial gut instinct is it proves to be correct. He's not to be trusted. And it uh, it affects him because I think, you know, like we've said, he's he's a good character. He's he's morally a good person. He doesn't know that these people are going to be so bad and do something of that nature. And because uh, even when he goes to that, when he goes to the uh, intake facility for drug addicts, he's sent there as a stooge because no one wants to go and deal with it. And so because he's the new guy with the green jacket, <laughs> they send him along and uh, he, you know, he works with them. He talks to them. He listens with them. When he's given the moment, he betrays them and gets those people out. But instead of running away as well, he sacrifices himself and goes back in inside to kind of, you know, take the heat. You know, he wants to make sure, like, you know, he doesn't want them to feel completely betrayed. He's willing to give himself. So that's, you know, morally good. And then when he goes into the second one and he starts the romance with... Uh, Verka. With, yeah, Verka, which is... Uh, Daniel's uh, sister, right? Yeah, Daniel's sister, Marzena Tribala. Oh, she's beautiful. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. Um, But that relationship's also very... That one is very tender and very soft, even though it's also very forbidden. Like, the first relationship's forbidden. The second relationship is also kind of forbidden because she is married. And when he goes to find her, she's not there. And he comes back, and she's also looked for him. So they're never going to connect again the way that uh, they did that one time by chance, which is, you know, says a lot about that character as well. But it's the only woman in his life. I mean, with the exception of Daniel being the connection to his memory, you know, is she a substitute for that relationship with Daniel? Because that moment where he reconnects with him, it is very tender, uh, you know. He kisses him, you know, he kisses him on both cheeks. It's a very, it's a very, you know, tender moment. He's sharing that memory and that time that he had with him. So is he taking those feelings and putting them on Verka or, you know, it's a, it's a bit of the mystery of this, of this, uh, of, uh, of Vitek, you know? And finally, there's the Olga who's kind of the, uh, housewife type. Yeah. Um, gets him to settle down and they have a kid and they're gonna have another kid and so she was on the uh station right at the train station yes she was after he so, the yeah the third one she that, was that means like there. the first two segments he ran right past her yeah you know you can run right past the love of your life without looking well so, it, yeah. it, it, but and she is she's the she's this medical student yeah, that, who, yeah. who sees her her uh teacher that she hated being uh uh, dissected. All right, can yeah. we talk That's, about that uh, for a second? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen. Whenever you see autopsies, the thing that always freaks me out, like, is that there's not blood. There's just like, yeah. fat when they cut into a person. Like I've seen. Yeah. There's that uh, Brackage film. It's uh, filming autopsies, 
it's always like the fat is what what makes me sick when you, you know yeah. i'm just thinking of myself on a slab like cutting open and there's gonna be this right. like layer of yellow it's like a I, very uh, i almost asked I, also, I almost asked my wife to watch this because i think she would like it but then as i was re-watching it that scene popped up and i was like oh no guess i'm because I'm pretty happy I didn't show this to her. When she mentions, like, oh, she was my teacher, I hated her. Like, yeah. You yeah. know, but it's still so upsetting. Like, you, you would almost expect her to say, like, oh, no, she was, like, my, my right. childhood teacher. I yeah. loved her so much. Yeah. But, like, no, it's just still upsetting. Yeah. Well, it's almost, it's, I think it's more upsetting for her. You know, it's like, yeah. even these people who, like, uh, you know, you despise and would love to see dissected. They're just, once you actually see it, you're like, oh, maybe not. Yeah, you regret all yeah. that. Well, and he Please. he mentions it in the second in the second part, right? Is that yeah? He yeah in the he second one. How, yeah, the second one. He mentions yeah. how there was a girl that he saw there that yeah he's he's selling he's saying it's a verka in one of their moments of like yeah. ex, you know because it's funny because the first girl is a physical thing, the second girl is an emotional thing, and the third one is mm. both. Um. <laughs> Which, I mean, he's also kind of dating her when the father dies. So she's actually kind of reconnecting him back to where he was right before all this happened. Yeah. Um, well, I think it is it is both physical and emotional, but the, it's also societal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he they, they're going to get married, I guess. But, the, you know, it's also they also accidentally get pregnant. And, um, you know, then they, they get the house, the kids, he chooses the career he doesn't want to jeopardize any of that um you know he he's pouring himself into the the family as opposed to sort of getting things from it uh and and you know putting that out into the the society and, and unlike camera buff i mean she also has a career as well she's also working and she doesn't you know expect the world from him you know it's they seem they there seems to be a nice harmony a nice balance in that relationship that we haven't experienced in the other relationships within this movie or within the rest of his uh filmography really this is the first kind of like yeah uh, you know nice uh balance that that has happened uh you know even in uh the not the scar but the calm you know, he has yeah. that love of his life, but she's still the one who's constantly saying, you have to leave. You have to get out of this. You, you know, she he does not listen to her words of warning. And in this one, you know, and he does that same thing he did a couple, I think, in uh, in the calm where uh, the unexpected pregnancy is announced. And instead of it being met with anger or I can't do this or there's just joy yeah yeah which is you almost such... think he's gonna like the way he yeah totally first when he kind of shrinks away i almost expected him to say yeah like oh i can't handle this or something but he, he doesn't no it's so nice it's so refreshing to have like every one of his films when the pregnancy is announced <laughs> it's joy it's such it's such beauty and joy i mean for a guy who's super pessimistic and claims and self-proclaimed like, that's true yeah ultra pessimist Anytime there's the mention of new life being born, he, he there's always joy in the male character's <laughs> eyes, which is is very refreshing. As a person who's a father and really loves being a dad, <laughs> it's 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 nice to see that uh, portrayed without it being typical male. Like, oh no, another kid, Jesus, Edith. Well, and there, there's very <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but I mean, there's very there's very little 
uh, conflict at all in the third uh, yeah. se- sequence, uh, you know, mm-hmm. until the very end. And uh, I mean, I, I wonder if that was sort of his decision making. I mean, obviously, the third sequence needs to come last because of the ending. But I think there is sort of the most drama and conflict in the first sequence. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it is interesting that he chose to do that first, especially considering the politics of the time, you know, what audience he was playing to. And, you know, he was making a movie at the same time where the central character, pretty much the only character in the movie is uh, a party member. And here he's making this movie where for the first hour, what you are witness to is somebody, you know, basically going down this path that the majority of your audience probably disagreed with. So it's kind of an interesting choice for him to do that first, as opposed to second. Do you, what do you guys think he was going for there? I mean, to me, it sort of says that opting out, you know, you might have this nice life and comfortable life. It won't necessarily save you in the end. Like the, the other two versions where he becomes sort of politicized, like at the end, in a way he's sort of, saved um so to speak you know i feel like one thing that maybe you're supposed to take away is that you should pick a side as uh, unlikely as that seems coming from kishlovsky like to me it sort of says something like you know the world is a political place and you know it might hurt and be turbulent to kind of go in one direction or the other but at the end of the day like that's the only way to maybe change the world it's something a bit like that right or i don't know if your thoughts were a little bit like that or something else i just yeah i mean it, it's weird because uh each one of them has their has their drawbacks or their downfalls mm-hmm. but they're all you know but one... that's the only one where he ends up blown up in a plane. yeah it's the only one where he <laughs> dies and it, it is because it's because of the love of his wife that he dies. He changes right. his flight. He's it's the first time he changes his destiny because of something that's happening in his life as opposed to kind of letting the tide of destiny take him to where it takes him, which is uh I mean I guess he changes little pieces here and there, but that that's a big that's a big physical change he makes. Uh but I don't know. I think uh you know, we start with the beginning and I think it's funny we we talked about why each one gets shorter and i think you know if you think about the political part process in these party systems it yeah. is long and drawn out and oblique and you don't know what's <laughs> happening from ever. and so it starts the movie the same way you're in this party yeah. and it's just like taking forever and there's lots of talking and talking in circles and talking around issues and uh it makes it makes sense and then when you move into the second one Right. It's, All he uh, needs to do is have the shit kicked out of him, and he's yeah, he's on board. It's, it, well, it's philosophical <laughs> and emotional. It's an emotional yeah. response. It's you know these people did me wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stand against them, and it's nice for us because we just saw what he's taking a stand against. I think if we took if we if we started with him taking a stand and then going into the party, that would feel more betrayal because we just witnessed like how bad it is in the party and That's how true. like just monotonous. I think I think the way that it's structured I think works well and I think oh uh, we mentioned her name earlier she was Agnieszka uh, Holland 
Yeah, is she talks about how uh, when they first watched a rough cut of the film, like before he was done filming everything, uh, she says it was just a mess. It made no sense. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder. I, I can imagine a version of this film being a mess. Oh, like if it's not right? edited properly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I think I think maybe you know the structurally, I think a lot of that has to do with like how they laid out these different life tracks. I think it makes, you know, it makes more sense. And then the final track of uh, of his life being kind of like okay um but it's the shortest one because you know yeah if you're a pessimist okay. life is short and sweet it's okay <laughs> yeah death, death I mean, comes to us all and i i don't want to i i don't want to like you know build up too much the story of the the reshoots but it 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 feels like because this movie is so key to his switch over to Mm -hmm. sort of the Kishlovsky that we that we all first learned of because of his internationally celebrated success uh, later on in his career Um, it just feels like like what was going through his mind during that process of reshooting and reworking this this film and and did that did the person who emerged after redoing this movie uh, you know, really represent the new Kieślowski and this person that we would go on to, uh, you know, that would go on to make the the films that we're going to talk about um, in the rest of this season. Um, and 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 you could perhaps build it up too much just because there there is still a big jump to the next movies that he makes in terms of what he's looking at and and how. Um, and of course, a lot of things happen in the. The ensuing years after this movie in his life and in his country to sort of change him around. He also meets uh, the uh, the guy who would go on to co-wrote, co-write the rest of his films with him. So that made a big difference later on. But this does feel like this, this moment, you know, you look at Short Working Day, which is so much like his previous films, um, mm-hmm. even if there, there are certain tweaks uh, in terms of, you know, especially the camera work, as we talked about. But this movie feels totally different, I think. And I wonder if that was that process of Kish- Kishlovsky realizing that this this previous way that he made movies was not going to cut it with this very high concept idea and that needed to be really rigorously structured. And, um, you know, the, that process of working through that, uh, turned him into a different filmmaker to a certain degree. I mean, it, it's hard to tell how much of it it's him changing at that particular moment in time in 1981 and how much of it's maybe him coming back to it in 1987 and, having a bit of uh, hindsight and revisiting material that he's already oh well i think it was fully fin- i think so. it was fully finished when was it, was it yeah i don't think that he actually 81? yeah i don't think he actually touched okay. it in 87 i know the um like that the 87 release it did have alterations right mm-hmm. to deal with some kind of censorship issues i'm yeah. not sure how significant it was i know the criterion version that's supposed to be like the mostly restored version there's that one sequence yeah where they, the, say, where they beat the i think the the police yeah. beating was the only thing that they truly cut from the film and and they were not able to uh, recover it um right. the the cuts are really interesting um we should we might as well talk about those now um the they're very specific and they're not they're, the the way they do it on the Criterion release is pretty awesome actually they they show you 
um, the scene in black and white, and then the cut parts are in color. And it, it cuts back and forth very frequently. And with these really, really small moments, like the scene where, um, he goes to the, um, the woman's house and who's, she's just been ransacked by the police. Um, most of that scene was in the film in 1987, but there's this one shot of the, of the house being destroyed that they cut. They didn't want you to see the, the damage that they had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting and knowing like uh, you know they're going to take out specifically the beating and just maybe leave right. it implied it's okay if it's implied but not stated it, it's always sort of interesting what censors take out and I, I think like especially towards the end of the communist era in europe like censors were a little bit more nuanced or th certain things were allowed to slide yeah. that wouldn't have at previous times i'm have you ever heard uh slavoj zizek talk about his uh the, the censored version of Ben Hur in Slovenia or in uh, Yugoslavia. No, no. <laughs> he said, uh, like, uh, because, you know, religion was, uh, right. you know, a topic that uh, wasn't really suitable for a communist country. The censors cut down a lot of uh, Ben Hur. So he's describing how we saw it as a child's level, Zizek, and it's like, um, all the stuff where, you know, he goes to meet Jesus at the end and Jesus saves uh, Ben-Hur's mother and sister, that all got cut out. So it just ends with, like, <laughs> Ben-Hur winning the chariot race, but his uh, mother and sister have leprosy, they're going to die, and it's, like, Ben-Hur's highest moment is also his lowest moment, and he's, like, some stupid censor turned it into, like, uh, an existential drama, and it was almost a masterpiece. <laughs> but, you know, like... Um, just thinking about the, like the history of censorship with the Polish films or I know like 1987, 88, I think that was also when on the silver globe was finally allowed to be yes. released. And that was never completed actually in the shooting. So, uh, Zhuovsky went and he shot like sort of documentary footage and kind of turned it into another project. So I was wondering if like there was tweaking aside from the uh, editing or if it was basically just, you know, the way Kishlovsky had presented it in 1981 yeah. because one of the criticisms uh, like aside from the politics when it came out in 87 was that it kind of felt like a time capsule from 81 yeah. people sort of felt like mm. okay this isn't really relevant you know so i i was wondering if if he had touched it or not yeah no i not I guess that i'm not. aware of i don't know if you read anything to that effect Travis. i i wasn't sure i yeah, I, I didn't know. I just knew that it was yeah. censored, but I didn't know if that meant like a recut. No, I mean, the other thing is that the trims, reworking yeah. that he did was was not just uh, a re-editing and, and right. post-reworking. Uh, he reshot a lot of the movie, and I think what ended mm -hmm. up in the movie is is about half reshoots. So it, yeah. it, was, it was a different movie uh, when he was uh, huh. finished with it. So he wouldn't obviously wouldn't have been able to do that in 1987. Um, no, no, but uh, yeah. So it it is an just interesting how process. How he edited the material or anything like that is sort of interesting process. I know, like, I mean, certain filmmakers don't have that liberty, and it sits on the shelf and it comes off, yeah. like off the shelf. Like um, Alexei Garman working in Soviet Union, you know, you had to film like. Uh, trial on the road or really any of his, his communist era films were shelved for a period of time so it's like you know 
Trial in the World comes out and it's already after The Ascent's borrowed from it and it's already after uh, Come and See is kind of taken from it and people haven't seen it yet. So it's like a lot of the film's impact that it would have had right. being released to a larger audience at that time is kind of it's diminished. Gone, so I, yeah. I guess that might have been part of the reaction to Blind Chance at the time. It's sort of like, oh, this film's already... Like, it doesn't deal with martial law. It doesn't even know about it. So it kind of already feels antiquated. And yeah, I mean, I mean there's it, something it very... Do innocent about the solidarity scene you know it's just like people are asking for tapes uh you know at the end of it sure. like and, it's and this whole like you know us them it doesn't really matter as long as you're a good person right that, that can also yeah. feel very naive yeah. knowing that there was a very hard crackdown coming after this yeah. but yeah yeah you can definitely no, it's, it's you interesting can, yeah. yeah you can definitely see that that would be a big problem because it it didn't do well in poland but it did fairly well outside of poland like uh, yeah did, it won an I, award did it, it not i think it did yeah it won a couple i think he yeah, won, won best actor um yeah um, yeah so oh i had a question though uh in research uh i had two conflicting things i was wondering if maybe someone could clarify um i read that the restored footage was restored and the edit the censored material returned back into for the criterion edition but i also heard that it was part of martin scorsese's uh, polish uh, cinema project that he was putting together at the time that they he was the impetus for reinstalling these censored uh, images does anyone have mm. any kind of like oh is it they a could both, both thing? Yeah. It could be both kind of thing. Uh, it, it's the hologram Jesus. You look at it one way, it's this, <laughs> one way, it's that. But, you know, I know that Criterion's worked with Martin Scorsese, and, yeah. you know, they might have shared restoration uh, materials. Or, like, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the, the backstory is, but, you know, sometimes Criterion just releases something on Blu ray and people say oh it's the criteria restoration it right. doesn't necessarily to tell you who actually restored it yeah all the world, world cinema it, yeah. project stuff is is done on, separately really and then yeah, and then criterion has yeah. a deal to put them all out so it, it's not criterion themselves i mean they do the transfer obviously but mm. but the actual restoration work is not being done by them um, well, speaking of the uh, I, speaking of the eyes open, eyes closed, Jesus, uh, <laughs> we should really kind of talk about that second section and the uh, religious aspects to it because that that is a big uh, a big difference between the first section and the last section is this uh, is this uh, spiritual ve- uh, bent. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you guys, Matt? What do you think about that? You've been asking all kinds of questions. Let's spin one back on you. What are you? What is your? <laughs> what is your uh, what is your take on this kind of uh is this being part of the path is this being part of the resistance uh and how it relates to the fact that uh the love that he has in this movie is with another uh religious uh kind of uh, exile in his uh his uh verka and her uh jewish heritage yeah you gave away my whole point there at the end oh sorry sorry dude <laughs> no i mean I, no, I mean, I think the thing the thing always to remember whenever the Catholic Church in Poland comes up is that the Catholic Church has always been part of the resistance to whatever, whoever, whichever invader was taking over Poland and ruling it at the time. Um, you know, they they were they were sort of always locked into um, Pol- the Polish heritage and sort of they had you know they had the ear of the people and so it was incredibly important for people 
to either try to get them on their side or most frequently to repress them. Um, and, you know, it, it became sort of uh, an, a bitter irony that communism took over in Poland after World War II um, because, you know, the, it's like the one ally power that's going to crush the Catholicism in Poland or attempt to, to tamp it down as much as possible. Um, and it was never, because the Catholic Church had such a stronghold in Poland, um, it was never uh, outlawed to the degree that it was in some other places, but it was definitely um, discouraged, and that's part of why it became attached to uh, the, both the solidarity movement and just the movement, uh, the sort of uh, resistance in general, because um, everybody knows that they need the Catholic Church on their side. Um, and it's also a, a sort of, you know, structure uh, that's already in place in order to allow you to organize and to have the kinds of meetings that they have in that sequence. But yeah, I do think it's also relevant because of the, um, because of him meeting his uh, Jewish friend from childhood and starting an affair with his sister. Um, and I, I, I do think it's interesting, you know, just Kieślowski's never sort of expressed any sort of religious belief. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more sort of spiritual elements uh, in the next couple of movies that we're going to watch. Um, but it is interesting in this one, like he says in the third one, is that in the third? Yeah, it's in the third where they ask him to join the party. And the guy says, well, do you believe in God? And he's like, ah, no, not really. He's like, well, just say you believe in God, then they they won't bother you anymore. Because, um, yeah, there there is a seems like there would be a spiritual element to this movie because of the sort of issues of chance and fate and choice, personal choice and moral beliefs. Um, but as it feels much more tied to that second section because of the political elements than it does. Uh, and the national identity aspect of it than it does any sort of character trait or personal belief. Would you agree with that, Martin? I, I think so. I mean, it's interesting, like the film, by showing the, these sort of matters of chance that sort of goes directly against the idea of fate and God, the idea that, you know, God's going to see you through or has a plan for you. Instead, it's like this kind of uh, random <laughs> randomness that uh, governs our lives maybe you know if something's if so something else is possible for us then you know that kind of means that uh, you know maybe that that's not really a, a determinist planned out universe and like on the other side of things the uh, communist uh, you know religion is the opinion of the masses it doesn't of course side with that either because you know this idea that oh your your class is kind of fundamental in developing uh, deciding who you are and th this film kind of goes against that as well by showing again the sort of random chance of it uh, the idea of blind chance being the kind of governing factor of our lives kind of directly opposes both of these things i mean the um history of anti-semitism in poland a lot of it is tied with the catholic church mm -hmm. you know there's also i mean there's also a communist history of uh, 
anti-Semitic campaigns as well, like, uh, you know, famously Stalin's doctor's plot and that sort of thing. But, mm. you know, it's... Uh, and then, of course, you go back further in Poland's history and you have the uh, Holocaust right there. So the, the presence of the Jewish character, it's sort of interesting kind of also being in opposition to these various ideals, like at least, you know, taking into the taking the historical context into account, like how the character Daniel is maybe meant to be viewed. It, it's sort of a challenging these ideas in a very sort of subtle way i think i think the other thing that is uh is interesting about the uh besides the historical aspects and the political aspects of the catholic faith is uh is uh i think uh, kishlovsky's personal uh i guess from what i've read uh this is that is his prayer the prayer that uh, Vitek says when he mm. after he's baptized and he's in the church, um, it's such a it's such a formal concept. It's you know, please exist, be. God. Please That's exist. What have to do. I did everything. I, I did everything on my end. I did all the. I did all. I filled out all the proper forms. I crossed all my t's. I dotted all my eyes. Now you just have to hold up your end and be like exist. And that was one yeah. of those parts that the censors kind of uh, chopped around as well, which is. Um, which is interesting, but it's such a, it's such a, uh, you know, a logical plea, you know, just be, <laughs> hold up your end of the bargain. That's all I need. And, uh, you know, does, does God hold up his end of the bargain? <laughs> like, do we, we is that <laughs> ever answered? <laughs> well, it just, I, it just, just key again, like it feels so quintessentially Polish. Like there's something about it. That's just, you know, I'm, I'm following everything that you've said to me. Uh, but I'm I'm not sure you actually exist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like I remember uh, I was listening about uh, Andrzej Zhuwowski working in France. Um, you know, he had all these sort of religious themes and religious symbolism in his films, and he had some critic kind of attacking him because uh, Zhuwowski was also sort of openly atheist. And Zhuwowski snapped on the critics saying, like, like, you do not understand the power of the church. Like, it's such a governing, yeah. powerful thing in, in Polish life, uh, you know, as, a, as opposed to, for instance, Czech life, where it, it's kind of the opposite. It, it's like a non, non-influential thing. Uh, it's, it's like a place for, uh, you know, you consider it part of the culture, but it, it's not really something that has control over people's lives like in Poland so it's yeah. interesting to see that well and for Kieślowski kind of like has, yeah. he he continually kept saying I I'm not a political filmmaker these movies aren't about politics every single one of the movies that we've covered mm-hmm. so far yeah is about political life in Poland and yeah. because there's no way to escape it and that you know which is you know so it will, we'll get to the ending in a second but um, I, I think like the you can say that that your primary concern isn't capitalism when you live in America, but there's going to be capitalism that comes up a lot in your rap songs. You know, yeah. like they talk about how do um, like American films, you know, 1980s that were meant to be censored or like, you know, there are films that couldn't even show in communist countries just because not that they were political films, but showing 
DXS. You know, any kind of story. Like, uh, what was the band? Like, Trading Places was bad. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, you know, just to show that, it's not really like... Um, what, I mean, I guess you could call it capitalist film, yeah. incidentally, but it's just like a whatever comedy, but that, you know, it's going Stock totally market. against any kind of communist yeah. Yeah. <laughs> values just by existing, by showing American life. Uh, so, yeah. Well, well, I think, I think the, uh, I think the Daniel, you know, Daniel stand in for, for the 68 purge is a lot like a lot, uh, the other elements of his life. I mean, this guy, again, you know, Kieślowski says this isn't about politics in Poland. And I, I kind of agree with him. I mean, I think ultimately there is a broader point being made here, but but he really hammers it home, right? I mean, this guy was born during the workers' strike in Poznan in 1956, and that's why his mom and twin brother were killed. Uh, his They mentioned that his great-grandfather, I think, fought in the 1863 uprising. His grandfather uh, was in the 1920 uh, Miracle on the Vistula, so like th this is like uh, you know another another battle for independence in Poland. So this is like a guy who basically is a stand-in for the Polish national character, um, and every step of the way is experiencing these moments. I mean, it, to to me, there's no other way to read his character than as a you know, representation of the different directions that Poland can take at this moment and, you know, the decisions that are going to be made and the decisions that are out of your hands, despite the fact that you are, um, you know, trying to do your best and trying to live your life in this country, there are forces working outside of your control and perhaps outside of any control, if God can't actually be and that's just the way that you have to take it and you might get on a plane one day and the plane blows up <laughs> and sorry bruh should should <laughs> should have missed your wife's birthday <laughs> yeah it's a, should I mean, they have called this movie sorry bruh is what i'm asking sorry sorry bro sorry bro sorry bro well i mean one thing that's interesting too about it you sort of we were talking a little bit earlier about how he's kind of a good person in each variation. Uh, like the, the other side of the coin, you could do a film like this where it's three variations of a very kind of cynical, nasty person who, you know, just no matter what ideology they kind of fall in line with, they use it to get to the top and become successful. Like I, in some ways that I think is a more acceptable idea to as somebody transversing, transversing, um, allegiances because they're kind of cynical and not a good person I, I think sort of maybe for some people the upsetting part is that like he's kind of a good guy no matter what he does yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know because like I, I was thinking before about how you had people who were informants for the uh, gestapo who were later informants for the soviets mm. you know the, these people who kind of it doesn't matter what they're aligned with it's just uh you know they're they're going to be a sellout no matter what or a true believer no matter what even if they flip very radically and it's not just one ideology or the other like um i don't know if you've seen the film by uh, milos forman goya's ghosts no 
No, I haven't. No, you had like the uh, you know Spanish Inquisitor coming back mm-hmm. later as a revolutionary, and it's like same nasty person, but he's just aligned with the completely the opposite yeah. <laughs> uh, group of people. You know, it happens sometimes like that in life, and you know this film. I think one reason why you kind of have to do it in this triptych structure, where it's a different thing every time, is probably like once this uh, young detect falls down in one line he's kind of set for the rest mm. of his life or in some cases blown up into many many pieces but uh, you know i i think you kind of presume that uh he's going to keep going down the, whichever direction he goes and he's not going to keep flipping or changing right. like you know i think that's why this film it's not like he's a devout communist now he's yeah a well you could because you could see yeah you could see a, could, a movie yeah. where he he at the end of the first se- section, he's just so fed up with it that he becomes a yeah. revolutionary, um, and then and then gets yeah, out of it and then get and... totally yeah. I yeah. mean, you definitely it could easily be cut that way, and you wouldn't have to do that much work in order to to get it done. Um, but yeah, it, obviously that's uh, a very different if movie. If you cut out the train scenes, people would yeah. sort of assume that you right. fill in these big ellipses yourself. And it's true. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, imagine like big... he's, he crashed, yeah. he smashes the crystal vase. The police come into the airport right there and beat the crap out of him. How does the, you know, right. what's the, how does the movie change? Um, but I, I, yeah, I, the, well, this kind of gets a, a question that we've been dancing around a little bit. But do, do you feel like, I mean, I don't know how he came up with this concept and if it was in the context of the story or if he built the story around this concept but does does this is this film about the the idea of three like what came first the chicken or the egg kind of situation (laughs) do you know what i mean like did is this a, a movie that was conceived about thinking about how people can do completely seemingly diametrically opposed things based on uh, random chance, or is it a movie where he was like, uh, you know, in the in the uh, in the Paramount movie executive office, going <laughs> one guy, three different realities. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> where, like, what does it start with the big concept, or does the big concept come out of this uh, the the deeper kind of political and and thematic issues i i would assume the concept kind of grew out of these sort of basic questions you know like uh you know if i if i missed the train what where would i be now like i I think it sort of can evolve very organically out of those types of questions what's sort of interesting to me on top of that is it's uh it's three stories it's not just two you know you would sort of think like it's uh, one version or the other, but yeah. kind of sliding doors, kind of an extra thing into yeah. it. And like doing this sort of triptych structure, you think uh, his later work also like uh, the three colors trilogy, um, you know, each one's a different character, but like there's also kind of a uh, accident at the end that maybe ties things together and you kind of see characters from one yeah. story show up in another, like you see people at the uh, airport at the end. Um, it's uh I, I'm not sure exactly how he would have come up with it, but it, it's sort of one of those things that as soon as you see it, it's kind of like, yeah, that somebody should have come up with that a long time yeah. ago. Well, the, the, the reason, obvious yeah, the reason I asked the question is because, well, I uh, thought of Slaughterhouse-Five because um, Kurt Vonnegut sure. wrote that book. The idea in Slaughterhouse-Five, for people who haven't read it, uh, it's so, about a guy who becomes unstuck in time. 
And so he's bouncing rather than going in a linear fashion through his life, he's bouncing like around a, a different point. Yeah. In the and in the future right being observed by aliens that exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. so the, he wrote that book out of be living through world war ii experiencing the bombings in dresden and feeling like you are in a sense dissociated from your body and, and so he he came up with this very high concept of bouncing around within the timeline of your own life through this traumatic experience that he and the world went through, um, mm. you know, a very real traumatic mm. experience. And so this, so he's, he's specifically using this device to talk about something larger and, and more intense perhaps. Um, here it, it feels a little bit like they're, they're holding each other up to a certain degree. There isn't as much of a yeah. one above the other or the other way around. I think the concept on its own, like, I mean, a lot of filmmakers have played with time in interesting ways, and it can feel a little bit film schooly if there's not a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think Blind Chance finds a very good reason. Uh, Slaughterhouse Five finds a very good reason to implement the structure that breaks time away from the way we usually experience it. I mean, you know, it's sort of funny the way we experience time. Sometimes it can create emotional responses that are uh you know seems silly when you kind of actually rearrange the time or i always think like you know the way we experience time beginning to end it's like running your hand along the edge of a table and getting to the table and saying oh the table's over that's so sad (laughs) you know like life can be a little bit like that if you sort of step back and rethink and re-examine it from a different maybe temporal perspective or you know any number of things i mean there's films like memento which yeah play it all backwards or uh you know that, that sort of thing too or uh, yeah, you know, pulp fiction kind yeah. of breaking it apart or jackie brown stories out of yeah. order mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know so like that i think that you know that's been done before and that's been done to other purposes and in a way like blind chance you mentioned groundhog's day like it sort of falls into kind of a maybe like a larger i don't know what you'd call it, like subgenre or atypical structure kind of a film but you know that specific idea of you know one person three different lives i think that's that's sort of the standout yeah yeah i think i mean basically groundhog's day is basically your concept of the cynical guy constantly going to the top you know that's it's bill murray's character trying to make the most out of this life until the point where he hits his existential dread and starts killing himself <laughs> trying for an, I mean, for, the thing is, for he an remembers exit from one day to the next like if you had a version of groundhog's day where bill murray wakes up every morning and he's forgotten the previous day like yeah. would he ever change mm. over time i don't yeah. know maybe maybe not like yeah. it's sort of a different well that's kind of like i mean in this in this movie he doesn't really um care he doesn't carry at all no. carry over anything no no there things carry over in terms of uh like elements that he would never notice but we notice like the milk mustache yeah. for example uh, oh yeah the milk mustache and just yeah. characters that he are no one to him but someone to us at this point right and... right but in run lola run that she literally gains knowledge from the previous one of the previous iter- iterations by turning mm-hmm. off the the safety of the gun knowing to turn off the safety of the gun in right. the third version um so i think i was yeah I was thinking earlier when we were talking about like what other film has kind of played with this idea. And the closest thing I could think of that kind of it, – it isn't 
it isn't thematically like this at all, but has that kind of a nugget of that concept in it that you could expand into this would be It's a Wonderful Life. This idea oh, yeah. of a world, yeah. a world without you. And so, I mean, it's the same idea taking you through that, that, you know, taking us back and doing it over again. But this time things are different. Or th- you know, that's the only movie I could think of that kind of has that idea in it that you could expand upon and make it more, you know, politicize it and make it more right. now and yeah. less uh, maudlin. And there's there's similar world and character building in that movie, too, like that you really... Um, it requires a fair amount of work both in terms of writing and i think most importantly casting mm-hmm. to to make these characters stand out so much that we're going to recognize them later on like i think just even to use the the three women as examples like they all look so different and they yeah. and their their yeah. their sort of body language and their characters are so different sort of the way that they approach him that it makes it very distinct. Uh, it makes a very distinct impression each time we meet these characters. Um, the guy, the the um, the guy he meets on the train, the party member, um, I think is probably one of the more interesting characters in the movie. And he's uh, you know he's so lively, he tells stories so well, um, and that allows you to remember him when he bumps into him uh, at the phone booth, asking asking him for for directions. So. Um, that and his book, his book that has been uh, covered in a newspaper. Like he has that, uh, you know how when you were a kid yeah. in school and you were given the textbook and you had to make a book cover for it out of like a paper bag? He has he has a book like that, but it's made with newspaper. Like he's made a jacket for his own book with newspaper to either hide what he's reading. Because, you know, if you're a political dissident, I'm sure some of the stuff you're reading shouldn't be seen on a bus or on a train or out in public. But at the same time, he's, you know, intelligent and needs to continuously feed this stuff. And he can't always be doing it in the privacy of his home, especially if he's running around in a lecture. Um, so that is also a nice little uh, a nice little touchstone. And one of the things we didn't touch upon, which was that character's uh, story, was the, this uh, just this, this beautiful little quiet but also very telling moment with the slinky. Mm. That oh, yeah. that slinky that slinky toy. This once you set things in motion, they kind of just carry out upon themselves. It's a yeah. nice little symbol for kind of what the story is doing and what we're doing. And at the time, you don't really realize it because it's before the first reset, so you don't know that this is kind of what the theme of the sh- of the movie is going to be about. You can see it within the theme that of that single section. But then to see it carry out over and over again to the point where he finally does end up a dead thing, just like yeah. he says, it kind of looks just dead down there. Like yeah. now that it's done with, it's played out everything. Right. Well, when, once you stop moving. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely want to get to the plane blowing up. We're going to talk about it. My, but <laughs> the one other thing I wanted to talk about, because I, I think it's just such a nice touch, is the, uh, is the bottle that's buried. Oh, yes. Um, with the note, we haven't brought that up. And I, I just, I love the idea of this, just this, you're almost literally pouring your hopes and dreams into this bottle and, and burying it in the ground. And somebody came and dug it up and read it and wrote on it, thank God this didn't happen, and put it back <laughs> in and buried it again. I just love that so much. And again, like the heat he uses every opportunity in this movie to speak to the larger theme of the movie. You know, there's just, Mm -hmm. there's so much layering in here. 
of just these little bits. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really liked the bottle uh, quite a bit. <laughs> and then when he goes back the third visit, yeah. the message is gone altogether. It's gone, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And, and and just the fact that obviously the things that these people wanted um, on the paper were things that were pretty close to what he ends up trying to pursue and you know the just sort of how, how divergent people can be um and then all, obviously like even if you hope and dream for one of those things to happen the experiences of your life might put you in a position where you no longer want those things and in fact you might want the exact opposite of them i mean i think that's i think that's why he always says he never makes political movies because even he if even if he's making a political film He's always making something universal and human. Yeah, like yeah. that's what's that's what's crazy about like uh, his uh, his style and the way he works, the way he he builds upon these things because he takes these political ideas and political moments because it's it's the world around. Like we were talking about earlier with the uh, rap songs about capitalism. If that's the world you're <laughs> in and that's all you live and breathe and sleep is is politics whether you're political or not it's it's a part of the fabric of your reality so yeah. to make a film without it i mean he really doesn't make a film without politics super strong in the center until he leaves poland and yeah i mean and like he kind of continues to expand that universality in his films next week you're supposed to be talking about no end right yeah the, yeah or and next next episode, episode. I mean. but yeah. um not next week but uh like you're gonna see again like the way that this it's not like a remake double life of veronique but the way it's sort of you can see kishlovsky foreshadowing certain things that he'd revisit later on i think no end it's a lot like uh blue mm. the first part of the yeah. three colors trilogy and it's going to be interesting I'm, I'm excited to follow along just as a listener now and see maybe how how you're interpretation of his films changes over time and especially once he starts making stuff in france mm. yes yeah no i am I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well but i i do want to talk about uh the plane blowing up because the plane blows up at the end of this movie does it yeah it does what? it actually blows up twice i guess i should have watched it to the end man <laughs> that was a mistake on yes. my part guys this I'm would sorry. be this would be a really bad movie to have that air three on the criterion channel <laughs> pop up for um what uh what do you what do you think's going on there travis i, I mean i think martin i think there you know you you mentioned just the idea of like you know that this guy became apolitical and, and that's the that's the dead end that that he hits um what do you think well, Travis? If, I, if, I, if i was to take the final destination approach to this mm. uh, it was meant to happen from the beginning and all these yes. other things got in the way he was supposed <laughs> to get hit by the train yeah he was supposed to get on that plane originally but that train ride really screwed things up <laughs> no uh you know it's that it's it's the same thing uh, i think that it's his pessimism kind of sneaking out. I think it's a little too, it's a little too much. I, yeah, I don't know. It's, Having the it's plane a little cute. It's the only thing I in think, the film right? I don't yeah, it feels it's like, like a punchline. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Even here's the, the he funny screams, joke. Everyone like, you dies. You can see him like taking the air first. Like, oh, this is going to be a big screen. Yeah. Like, like, I kind of wish that maybe just like as a framing device, he had found something a little bit more low key. Um, 
you know, even if, if there was like something <laughs> a, li- a little bit more low key, well, <laughs> what would be the, what would be the higher exploding? key? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I will say, asteroid yeah. it is a blind chance end game. Thing. Yeah, it is, it is a beautiful, <laughs> it is a beautiful bit of a cinematic trickery because I really do think that's a plane in the air when we get to that point. Like, you, yeah, I don't know how. It's one of those things that I don't realize or recognize where the cut was. Yeah, to it's a, pretty good. to a model plane. Yeah, like. I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit!" It really took me by it took me by surprise. But I guess for me, yeah, it's a little pat, like not pat, but it's a little on the nose. It's like, uh, you know, here's all these other ways these films end, and all the other ones ended with a slow motion and like a restart, you know. And this one yeah. just it ends with a bang, and it's it's over, <laughs> and life's over, and that's it. And it's kind like, of I, like I don't know if it would have been pat in a different way, but I kind of wish something from the past had kind of reconnected and that's what ends his life in the third mm. version mm. Yeah. you know instead of it just being like uh the plane blows up you know it, it feels very kind on of, the way to I guess, libya again, that's just chance it's blind chance but yeah you know if there, there was like some kind of i don't know like some kind of connection to saying like ah like if he had only avoided this <laughs> yeah i i don't know like at, at an earlier point in the film then towards the end of the third segment when he makes that choice about the ticket but i don't know i like that might have also been a little bit like too perfect maybe yeah uh, yeah i was almost like i mean i i think i like the ending better when i don't think about it as a political message of Mm. um you know if you take planes blowing up to libya well, it's a, a bit, no, it's essentially because it's, I think the 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 most straightforward reading of it is that there's there's no like I joked on Letterbox that the movie could could have been called you can't be neutral while trying to catch a moving train because I feel like there's <laughs> like the, it's very much like that third that third section is saying you can try to pull out of political life and be uh, just a regular citizen but ultimately there's no way to actually have that. That's not a sustainable path for anybody living in this society in, in this, you know, under, under Polish, under the, the current Polish political system. And, you know, I mean, yes and no, but I'd rather not answer that question because i think there's a lot more interesting things going on in this movie and so if i just take it as a a simple final moment of anything can happen to you and you know you there's a million choices you make to get on that plane you know he makes he makes three very or two very specific distinct choices to get on that plane you know and uh, you know, in terms of deciding to go to the the speech and and then um, changing his flight, and so if it's just that, then I feel better about it. But I still feel like it's it feels more like a a punchline than the end of a a, a pretty interesting and complicated film. Yeah, the, like I I picture lot lots of. Uh 
Lots of film school students ending movies this way. Yeah. We're just like, and then the car blows up. Ha ha, because I couldn't (laughs) write an ending. Right. But, I mean, I guess, but if you think about it, the ending of the film is that plane blowing up, but really it's the beginning with him screaming again. Yeah. Yeah. Which now leads you to wonder, is everything that comes after his scream, which I, you know, read in a couple different uh, reviews, a couple of criticism, a couple of writings, is everything that comes after his scream all the possibilities of the life he could have had yeah. or is it, you know, is that scream just kind of like his existential crisis of the things he could have done, like his memories, not like him actually seeing his alternate realities, but him kind of thinking these are all the things I could have done that would have avoided me coming here. And this is, right. you know, that last gasp. I mean, I thought of it as those memories those 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 six or seven memories that the, the he had life flashing before were his life flashing before his eyes. Yeah. yeah, which then you see how it played out. Yeah, if there are all, all if they are alternate realities, um, and it's his life flashing before his eyes, then it's kind of the movie is kind of saying death is inevitable, right? That like yeah. that there you're you're trying to do all these other things. And you might not end up getting on the plane, but you're still frustrated to the point where like life is meaningless. And so I, I guess maybe that that could be the most positive, optimistic <laughs> per, per presentation just because you're saying like he's, you know, it's it, at least he's not bummed out. Like he dies having a fulfilled life. He has two kids it's, and he's uh, super happy. Yeah. Life goes on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, now he's he's part of one more step in that chain of uh, stories someone else will tell about, you know, his grandfather and his great-grandfather and his father before him and all the different ways that they were part of something at some point. And yeah. uh, he, he may not have been a part of the revolution or anything like that, but he was what it seems to be a a pretty prominent doctor in that society. And the... oh. Oh yeah, and he was a prominent doctor in that society, which you know is a success in his own. It does you don't have to be a world-shaking political changer to make a difference. I mean, he does make a small difference in just going to do bedside visits with people yeah. in their homes, and he gets to witness those moments of pure joy watching the watching those jugglers do something perfect. You know that that how he yes. wouldn't have seen that if he went somewhere else. He wouldn't have been a part of that if he was somewhere else. And he got to witness something that was pure perfection, the best that it's ever been done in the whole entire world. And he got to witness it. <laughs> but they're doing it for no reason. I know, and that's what's beautiful about it. They just want to <laughs> do it. Birds got to sing, fish got to swim. These guys have to throw four hundred balls juggle. at the same time. <laughs> it's it's it is though i'm glad you brought that one up too because i it totally went out of my head there's there's just so many little things like that in this movie and they all feel like they're speaking to the larger the larger mm-hmm. issue um yeah i mean it's funny because i you know when i when i think about a movie like groundhog day um like they they took that concept and they just did literally you know they did almost everything that you could do with it people have taken groundhog day the groundhog day concept and moved genres with it and it's become you know interesting ish by doing that but i think like 
ultimately it's a happy happy, happy death, death day. Yeah, happy yeah. death day. I mean, you know what's the frustrating thing about those movies is you would think like the whole fun of having a Groundhog's Day Groundhog Day set up for a horror movie, a slasher film would be like Oh, you get to see all these different creative right. kills for the same character, and nope. each time she comes back. Except it's like a PG thirteen yeah. <laughs> kind of horror movie. Like they, they just completely sidestep the fun you could have with a concept like that. Yeah. So it's just well, uh, that's that's where the fun in that uh, Edge of Tomorrow comes in, where you get yeah. to see uh, Tom oh, Cruise right. die yeah. a million different ways. And up <laughs> until that point, fun. he had <laughs> never died on screen. Oh, that's crazy! In any movie he was oh, in, wow. he had never died. And so in he that really movie, needed he to died. get out of his system. Yeah. Oh, it's so good! It's so fun yeah. that he. Decided, I like that movie like, a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, Groundhog Day, like you know, they they did the concept, like they they really like. There's movies that you watch with a really good concept, and you're like, oh, they just didn't know what to do with that. I think Groundhog Day does it really well. This movie, I think there's still lots that can be done with it, but I think he, in terms of, but I think the things that can be done with it are in terms of sort of narrative and um, mm-hmm. like plot structuring. This movie, I think, in, intellectually, I think, really explores this concept fully. And there's a lot of rich kind of um, interesting things going on in terms of how people view chance, how people view choice, um, the, you know, just sort of the path of your life working through, I think is all in here. It's just maybe, uh, you know, along with it being uh, somewhat obtuse to an outside observer um, in terms of the political elements, um, I think they're maybe could have been more follow through both in the ending and, and in sort of just the, the, the different available avenues that were open to the protagonist. Um, it's a very sort of simple, um, path in this movie. And I think so in that way, there's more to explore, but I think thematically he really captures it all. I mean, it feels conceptually thematically like such a breakthrough for him where he kind of really keeps following that through line for the rest of his career yeah. and keeps sort of developing mm-hmm. that like i always think i mean just going through his filmography it's like yeah there's the early documentary stuff and those kind of early dramas there's sort of interesting well-done drama but it's kind of not it's not really what you'd expect coming in from his late films, his last films, yeah. and this is kind of like the earliest one that still feels like one of his late films. Yeah. Is how no, I, I felt agree. about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this is the reinvention of himself and taking parts of his past and bringing it into a future that is going to be more expansive and way more artistic than what he had been kind of working on previously. Yeah, yeah. I think he obviously. I mean, everybody makes an aesthetic choice, even when you're not making one. But I think the the choices that he's making here are a lot more conscious than they were previously. And, and uh, I, I do agree with, with you guys that this feels so much more like his later movies than his earlier movies, but that this is in a way his last real um, political film film that speaks to the political moment in Poland. Um, and, you know, as we, as I mentioned, every one of his movies really has been doing that. So it's interesting in the sense that, and especially with the gap that's about to happen in his filmmaking career, um, because of what happened in Poland, the, this, this movie 
is the last movie of the first half of his career, but uh, in terms of themes and accomplishment even in terms of technical accomplishment and packaging and all that kind of stuff uh it, it feels very much like it's what is is about to come yeah the first movie of the second half of his career yeah um well uh martin around here uh we rank these things uh you get to around these we parts, only you gotta put numbers on yeah these yeah exactly um <laughs> We 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 only do it, all the movies that we've covered so far, but you can you can go wild. Okay. Um, do you, do you have a a favorite of Kieślowski's films, and uh, roughly where where would would this sit in your uh, in your affection? Oh, it, it's so tricky with his films because they kind of cluster. Like, yeah, you know, do you want to split up the Three Colors trilogy? Is the Decalogue one big thing or a bunch of little things, or uh, you know, the the short films that kind of yeah, killing and love coming out of that? Like, are they their own things? Sort of, kind of, yeah. Um, and I like I'd probably put maybe Blue on top with uh, mm. Julia Binochet. That's maybe my Julia Binochet. Uh, that's maybe my favorite of his. Um, Double Life of Veronique, uh, Red, uh, and then I guess getting into the Decalogue, yeah, would probably have to revisit it to really sort through that. Um, would you put this uh, ahead of any of his his later work? I, I would probably put it ahead of maybe his other Polish films that I've seen. Yeah, uh, like out, out of the the Polish language stuff. Um, the, the feature films anyway like it's probably the best one I like think a, I've seen. ahead of no end yeah ahead ahead of no end and uh probably ahead of uh camera person yeah yeah mm. what do you think or, travis camera buff i mean not camera person camera <laughs> person's good too though okay camera person's good too <laughs> <laughs> what do you think travis um i think uh you know as my as I grow and change and watch his him grow and change, uh, my list hasn't changed that much. It's pretty crazy. Uh, it keeps as we add more movies, they keep on replacing the movie that was number one last time. So, you know, my bottom one is still the scar. I, st- I think it's it's a mess, and I think it's his least. That's a six... really good podcast episode, though. <laughs> yeah, it's his least. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was. It's at least successful, but there's so much stuff in there, but it just doesn't, you know, the stitches to hold that uh, that open wound together weren't very uniform, so it, it left a really horrible scar. But uh, a short working day follows up after that. It was it was good, but still, the themes that were inside of that movie, uh, it, they didn't play out the way that I think he successfully could have with uh, some of his other movies personnel still holds a holds a charming spot in my uh in my affection uh the calm uh there's something about yerze's performance in that film that is just hopefulness and, and joy in some of the sections the wedding scene in particular and the snowing leaves that i always remember about that film camera buff uh absolutely fantastic and then now blind chance blind chance takes uh the number one spot and you know I think it's because uh, Kishlowski has decided, made a choice 
to move in a new direction, much like his character in this film is left up to chance to uh, have different lives. Uh, at some point, he has to make a couple choices, and sometimes those choices lead to spectacular failure, but sometimes it leads to like something really beautiful happening. And having Kishlowski make the choice to embrace a really strong narrative structure using a camera to tell the story um, different than anything he's done before the opening five minutes of this film with the flashback to memories um, is some of the most poetic filmmaking that I've seen out of him and oh yeah stand stand out like so strongly um, even in a lot of other films, like, you know, when I when I see those scenes at the beginning, I think of the opening of Persona. I think of moments in uh, songs from the second floor. It's just such structured and wonderful uh, execution of fragments and moments that, uh, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a something that Malik strives for but has uh you know lost the thread on and has gone way too far away where this <laughs> is something very beautiful and also very relevant to the story that unfolds after it it's not it's not there to you know enjoy the beauty of something it is beautiful unto itself because it is a beautiful memory and I, I really, like, I can't even begin, like, I, I try to put into words what I feel about that beginning, and I, it's, I'm not going to do it any justice. If you haven't seen Blind Chance, uh, you know, it's something to behold. And at that beginning section, it really does uh, change the way I feel about him as a director. Um, knowing I've only seen, coming up, I've only seen Blue and Double Life of Veronique, and I know what he's capable of and what he's going to ascend to. Seeing this now makes me realize, like, okay, here it is. Yeah. This is it. He's done it. This is the move. And so it's it's beautiful. And, you know, just destiny and, and, and fate foretold and how short and cruel life can be sometimes. And the other part that we kind of didn't talk about, but the fact that sometimes what you do doesn't matter. Uh, he, he, you know, uh, the dean, the dean of uh, the the uh, the medical school's son still gets arrested, whether he was a part of that world or not. He still gets arrested yeah. for his, what he's done. So how does that affect? Did he affect anything in that world? Uh, maybe he didn't. Maybe this is the world that which he has the most, uh, you know, the most change and happens because he brings life, he brings happiness, he saves, you know, he helps people. Uh, the other worlds he's just kind of flailing around trying to tow a line with someone else's and when his dad you know even though it is his dad's wishes to become a doctor maybe his father did know kind of like uh, what he saw in his son and what he was capable of and helped him kind of push him that way to being something better than he was himself and so it is kind of a beautiful thing it's a it's a beautiful story about the possibilities and when you you know if you tack that ending onto it you can look at it as you know kind of too on the nose or too much of a joke to kind of end it so cruelly but i mean eventually you know people fall down and die in the middle of a park or you know while driving a car or on the toilet and death is cruel and stupid 
and so isn't a plane blowing up after you've just had the most beautiful party with your wife and yeah. for her birthday and found out you're going to have a daughter coming along the way. So I really do. I, I, I have great affection for this movie now, and I'm very happy that I got to watch it and I got to talk and share so much time with you guys speaking about it. So, Well, M- Martin hung up, actually, because you talked trash oh, I... about Terrence Malick. So. <laughs> Aside from that, I, I'm not, I agree with you. Know, I'm not saying, against like, if you, I'm not, and Terrence Malick for me is also, like, there gets to a point where it, like... You know, there's he has his moments, and then there's some times where he just takes the thread too far, which is fine. Everyone should. You know, how are you supposed to know when to dial it back <laughs> unless you let the, let all that re, let all that reel out? You know, we'll have to we'll have to see it can. But, uh, uh, next I was month. just going to say that like thought of you know whether you actually don't impact things with your life. Uh, like I, I don't know if you know the Star Trek episode "City on the Edge of Forever" that was written by Harlan Ellison. I've heard about like, this. Okay, like in the original script, it's it's this time travel story, and like just a little throwaway scene. Uh, somebody gets vaporized in the past, and then like later on, you find out that like oh no, things actually turn out pretty much the same. You know, even though this person got vaporized because their life was so inconsequential, <laughs> that, like in the grand scheme of things, they didn't really matter. But then like somebody else, her instead of dying and her living, actually like creates this pacifist movement and she becomes president and that prevents america from being involved in world war ii and like has this huge chain reaction so some people i don't know maybe they impact the world other people don't other ones yeah. fine I'm, you know no pressure right and depending <laughs> on who the other people are that uh live or don't live uh that person the another person might impact the world or not impact the world like exactly. just, there's right. too many factors in there there. um yeah matt what do you think what's your feelings about all of this yeah i mean i hate to continue to agree with you travis but um (laughs) this is this is easily the best uh so far and yeah i I mean i think this is a a pretty great movie um i think that he still has a lot to uh to improve uh moving forward as i i know the ending of this movie so uh so i'm aware of what he's capable of um but i think that there's just so much in here and and he he really it really feels like he is um building on what he's already done but he is taking his filmmaking abilities to the next level and i think so much of that comes out of the material that he wrote he is rising to the task of this concept and of the world that he wants to create. And he knows um, that what his approach, his previous approach is not going to cut it here. And whether that happened in the reshoots or if he was aware of that from the beginning and he just wasn't able to get it perfect uh, initially, I think it's clear from, especially as, as you, you know, so eloquently uh, described that opening section it's clear right from the beginning that this is somebody who realizes that this movie requires something different from the previous movies that he made and there's so much charm and humanity and um, interesting uh, issues and themes covered in those early movies I don't want to write any of them off and I hope a lot of them get a bigger audience, especially the calm and camera buff. 
but this is uh one you know one of the best movies of its year and i think it, it's it's a movie that you know is deserving of its uh loftier status in, in comparison with those earlier films so i'm yeah, really think... excited to watch uh the rest of these now because we're really hitting the high gear at this point mm. I think I think one of the things that I failed to mention that he strived all of his life as a documentary filmmaker or documentary filmmaker to have the world see a different perspective and to be a part and find different viewpoints that might not be their own. And I think he was able to pull off being into someone else's shoes and to see some other part of life more eloquently and more beautifully than he's ever was able to do as a documentary filmmaker in this film. So I think that's the biggest is it's a culmination of what he strived to do in documentary. He was able to pull off narratively um, really beautifully. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Well, thank you, Martin, so much for coming on and and talking blind chance with us. Um, and I'm sorry we I'm sorry we didn't get to talk more about sliding doors. <laughs> I, I, it might be for the best. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me, and I'm excited to hear where the rest of the season goes. And uh, well, I should say too, I really really like the, um, the the guest appearance on the film baby film talking about Visconti. It's like one of my favorite podcast things. Ever. Oh, thank you so Visconti. much. Oh, conversation thank you yeah i had so much fun doing that i'm obsessed with visconti so i'm hoping that uh his films become more readily available so we can do a visconti complete season someday but we'll see if it ever happens but thank you very thank much you. for coming on thank you all right, all right man travis next next time we are covering the last movie of kishlovsky's that i have not scene which is no end and it's a movie that is playing on the criterion channel for anybody yes. who is interested in checking it out before our episode or you can rent it from the harvard public library because <laughs> i finally returned the kino box set that i checked out for them and had this steep 99 dollar replacement fine wiped off my record because it's back in their hands oh oh, okay so it it wasn't like a late fee it was just they were they were going to charge you for the whole thing no our uh our library system has finally come into uh modern thinking and realized that late fees for people who come to get things for free is a very classist thing to do to Mm. people and they got rid of all late fees so people can come and get things not fear returning them because of their crazy and hectic lives and still get to enjoy uh all this wonderful literature and films and everything else that the library provides so good on them so i'm pulling up with a u-haul next week that's right you you don't have to pay them anything (laughs) all right well uh i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah i am too and with that we're complete for another week 25thframemedia.com a listener supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide